0: Welcome to Always Andersonville the podcast. I'm Joelle
1: and I'm Kaylee.
0: Today we are joined by Marissa Palilo, owner of Mango Pickle. Mango Pickle is a delicious bistro with Indian influences. They offer a number of different dishes such as curries, various regional dishes, and are currently offering an impressive seasonal supper series. They also offer great cocktails and Indian coffee and tea. With the great reviews they've received, there's no question that Mango Pickle is a must-go located nearby at 5842 North Broadway.
1: So welcome, Marissa. How are you today? Fine, how are you? Oh, I'm good. It is a decent day, so I can't really complain. Um, would you mind starting by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background?
2: Yes, uh, I'm uh, I'm part of Mango Pickle in uh, on Broadway. And um, we have, had Mango Pickle uh, for the past four years. Uh, It was a casual Indian American uh, eclectic restaurant. Um, We have uh, experimented with uh, different formats at Mango Pickle, uh, including um, multi-course dinners, um, complete farm to table dinners and uh, bar nights and uh, high tea events, and in the last year, um, we worked until July of two thousand twenty. Um, we converted the restaurant into a complete takeaway packet, you know, uh, takeaway joint. Uh, and we were we were finer dining before that, um, so we switched completely overnight um, to become a takeout place. Um, and in uh, July 2020, we thought we should stop and look at the business and look at what to do and do something that, you know, find a way to be open and be chefs and serve the community, um, be something that the neighborhood wants, um, also something that is fitting more fitting with, with the side, with, with the times. Um, so we took we took some time off to reconceptualize, uh, also redecorate, also um, look at our food, our recipes, and 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 basically uh, we tried to make um, we tried to take this as as an opportunity versus be downtrodden by it. By it. And uh, we we saw it as a as a as a chance to look at what we want to do for the next four years.
0: And that's a great great place to start. We'll definitely dive into your background a little bit more here in a minute. But can you tell us, like, how did the idea for this supper series come about? You just launched it in March here, 21 days of Tali. Um, what can you tell us about the spring menu?
2: The uh, spring menu, well, right now, being that we're just entering into April in Chicago, um, It's still a winter season from the farm standpoint. It's still a winter season for us. Um, So our focus is a lot of root vegetables, a lot of uh, fermented and preserved vegetables. And uh, it is, um, you know, meat is the center uh, focus on it. Um, We end though in the second week of April. So we would like to see the start of spring, you know, pop up into that menu. So we are working on a secret menu right now for takeaway, where we're going to take the format and change it, uh, re- revitalize it with the, with the not with, with the new produce and a new ingredients, uh, closer to the spring season. Uh, but we're, we're watching to see what happens, what comes up from the uh, local farmers, what they have uh, by then. And, um, um, what new things, at least hopefully, you know, uh, more microgreens, um, that's a, you know, that we can, that can give a more of a spring touch to it.
0: So for, um, patrons who are listening, so the menu is available for dine-in, correct? Right now. And then you're creating this new one, the secret menu for takeout specifically. Yeah. That's fantastic. So that's a really great way for folks to still experience mango pickle, even if they're not quite yet comfortable coming in person.
2: Yes, yeah, I think that we're going to, so we started as a restaurant, we, we didn't have takeout, but I think one of the things that we, when we were reconceptualizing the restaurant is to have a takeout, uh, a heavy takeout program on this, uh, on our food. And what that means is that we may we may uh, start with the menu that we see as a, as a dine-in format. How are we going to serve it? We're going to finish the plate just so. As soon as we put certain touches on the plate, it has to run out of the kitchen. But we choreograph the, the dinner. Um, with takeout, you can't just transfer what you're doing in the restaurant into a takeout box. And you have to think about the how long it's going to sit, what it's going to look like when you open the package, when you open the box. Do you have to reheat it? Should you reheat it? How to reheat it? Um, which cuts of meat will work better in that environment, where we like to use a lot of fresh, you know, crisp herbs on our plate. Well, how will that look when it's in the package? So you have to, what we've been thinking about when we, in our, in our, when we were closed is how to do, a, a, how to put as much attention on a, a carryout experience as we put on the dining in experience. And I think that's like this a sign of the new restaurant industry, because a year ago people looked at takeout as you do what you do in the restaurant and you put it in a box, but you know, but but now you have to look at it as a, a primary business model. So you so we just how we choreographed our our dinners, the the dining in experience for our twenty one days of Tali. We took the takeout part as a separate business model, a separate thing and say, how can we do this and give an experience and how can it, how can the food deliver? How can the food stand up to it? So, so we, we, it it was, it's almost two different menus. It's like one that's kind of menu is like our guide and then, then we reformatted for a takeout version.
0: That's really incredible. And I know um, probably you learned a lot, right? When the pandemic first hit, I know you were serving, you kind of um, put it out as Indian comfort meals, correct? When you were doing takeout initially, can you tell us a little bit about how that process went?
2: Different from last year to this year,
0: it was Indian
2: comfort meals because last year really felt shitty for everyone and unknown, uh, scary. And it was the time for comfort food. Uh, It was the time to go back to simple basics and the need to cook, the need to be working and the need to, on the customer's side, the need to be fed, those needs were different last year than this year. Last year, it was about how am I going to get through this either as a business owner or as a customer? And so I think that the food, I think, cuisine, the way the format that we followed and the other restaurants followed, responded to, how are we going to survive? That was last year. And I think this year, the question is, how are we going to live? What are we going to do? You know, and so so we're still dealing with takeout,
1: right? But the attitude towards it has has changed. And I mean, on the theme, do you have a favorite Indian comfort food, takeout food that kept you feeling safe to some degree last year? It's kitchari. Kitchri is, it's the
2: Indian dish of every Indian household throughout that entire country. And it sounds simple, it's rice and dal, rice and lentils cooked together, but there's a lot of history behind it, a lot of significance behind it. Um, It's what you go to, when you are not feeling well, how we have chicken soup. In India, you get served khichri. But there's also a um, a holistic, a wholesomeness behind it, and a spirituality behind it. Um, It's the food that people eat when they are fasting. It's the food that people eat before embarking on certain rituals in the society, in the culture. It's the food that's offered in temples. Um, So, so it's 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 wholesome comfort food. It also is considered the purest meal one could have. Um, That's for us. It's our Monday night meal at home. (laughs) Um, And uh, in during the last year, at the start of the pandemic, when when we were working. We worked, because we we opened then seven days a week, and we were working seven days a week. And it was one of the things that we did, one of the practices that we followed, my husband and I, that we followed to help keep us, to help protect ourselves, Um, because this is also before we knew how to stay safe, It's like before a lot of medical information came out. So we were like, okay, what kind of lifestyle can we adopt? What should we do so, so that we don't you know, catch the virus and don't pass the virus and, and stay strong and survive with, with, with little sleep? And, and on, what, on one hand, we had our yoga practice. On the other hand, we also had to work hard. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, we said, okay, how can we you know, eat? And um, that was like our, it was like our go-to food
1: during that time. Our go-to fu- go go-to, fu- go-to food even now. On that note, um, I saw that you mentioned on your website that you used to live and work in India for some time. Uh, what was that like, and what were some important things that you learned, other than your favorite comfort dish?
2: <laughs> well, that's where I started cooking professionally. I had the interest in the restaurant business before moving to India, but I was in a different I was in a different career, and living there gave me the chance to make a career change. And I dove into it in, um, in Mumbai. Um, and what it was like is, well, the environment is really different. Um, it was extremely hot. You had to live, I mean, kitchens are known to be hot, but put a hot kitchen inside a city that's mostly humid and above 90 degrees on a regular basis. So I had, to, so like it was physically, I think uncomfortable, uncomfortable and crowded. Um, it's a, um, Mumbai has more, the population of that one city is larger than the population of Australia, but it's a crowded place and there's a lot of lack of space. And so what we are used to in kitchens here, um, it's scaled down much more and the ante is that much higher. Um, The main difference, I would say, working in the restaurant industry in Mumbai versus working in the restaurant industry in Chicago is the stress of having lack of space, of room to really breathe and move. Um, You have to... You learn to work in tight quarters um, and minimize your movements and stay very, very organized because you are working with much less space on your on your countertop and your cutting board on the, on the, on the cooking line. Um, so that was a good, actually that was a good discipline. So uh, it was a discipline in learning to be organized. Um, the other is it's hyper-competitive. Um, as a society, and that, that translates into all, all aspects of it, including in the, in the career, uh, in, in the working life. Um, so it was a very competitive kitchen that I worked in as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, there was competition to be recognized, competition to be given. It, 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 at that time, I wanted to learn as much as I could. And so, I the competition I was facing was to be given that project to do, you know, to to season that meat or to grind that meat or, or work on a certain sauce or, you know, it, um, you know. So you, it was it was tough, but it was a good. It was a good learning experience. I would say the other part of my experience working in India is alongside that competition, there is a genuineness and a softness as well with, with the same people. And um, people are conscientious of their society, of their community in, in India. And in the kitchen, the, com- the community, the new community is the kitchen, the, the kitchen team. Um, so it's a very community driven place. And people come from their own cultural communities within the within the country, but when they go to work, that becomes their adopted community. And um, I I felt that also I was I was an outsider and then an insider in, when I was working in the kitchens
0: there. So how long from when you returned to India to um, conceptualizing the idea for mango pickle? How many? what was that time span turnaround like? Um,
2: I don't know often, I don't remember often the dates. It was about four or six years before um, returning to Chicago, I think it was four years, uh, to opening Mango Pickle. Um, and in between that time, I was working under, uh, under a chef here in Chicago, continuing my training and, and staying keeping my hands and practice.
0: And did, had you identified the Edgewater-Andersonville area as somewhere you wanted to open, or or was it just a little bit fortuitous? Um, no, which, um,
2: area? We, um, we were looking to live and to work on, in another part of Chicago initially. And, um, and we were new to Chicago when I started looking um, for places. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, we were still learning, we were still exploring the neighborhoods because I was away for, from 2000, I, I, I was away for nine years. Um, so it was a different, so Chicago, of course it had changed by the time I came back. And so we were still exploring the, exploring the neighborhoods and we were looking at a different neighborhood and something brought me to Andersonville to... I ended up going to for dinner at Vincent's in Andersonville. And it happened to be on Wednesday night when you had the when you have the farmers markets, and I was like, "Oh, how cute, how sweet!" And you know, we were like, you know, I could see the farmers market from from the window at Vincent's." And and I was thinking about it as a place to to live, and still, my my idea was a restaurant somewhere else, and and we were looking for a place to live and a place for the restaurant at the same time so then we started looking at at places to live in, in andersonville and and that kept bringing us back into andersonville edgewater so at first we were looking at two different neighborhoods one for the restaurant one to live and the more we kept coming into andersonville edgewater um the more we i started thinking you know i like this vibe for the restaurants i had something in mind for and i wanted to be i wanted to be kind of outside of the, of the Big action, and I wanted it to be a, a little place, you know, tucked in a you know little corner of Chicago that I could make into a studio, into an atelier, into a place for creativity, for experimentation. And the more we kept coming and coming up here,
1: we felt like it would be the right place to have to have our business as well. And so I noticed that your restaurant is strongly influenced by Indian dishes and design, obviously and your restaurant's interior as well. Um, but along with that, you also include other regional dishes to your menu as well. Why did you choose to do that?
2: Other regional dishes to our menu, meaning the French influence or, or sure. American? Sure, yeah. <laughs> because, uh, well, my partner in the business, uh, who's also who's a chef and partner in the business, um, his name is uh, Greg uh, Gregory Vizier he is uh, originally from france we met in india in goa which is on the coast uh the beach the, the beach area of india uh, i worked for him for a bit and uh, he was in the restaurant business there uh first in france and then and then in goa also my training in the culinary arts from the two other chefs i worked for have they both had a strong French influence. So the foundation, I would say the foundation of my cooking and of my partner's cooking, if it's not Indian, it's, it's French for him, it's French cooking. For me, it's, it's more American cooking. Um, but we have a, but we have a Western foundation in our cooking, but that may be our training. And that gives you the basics. You can still do a, a traditional cuisine with, with those basics why is there a french influence and american influence in our food well it's because we're you know the, the restaurant is located in the US not in india uh, or not in, the, in another country and we have a strong local and seasonal focus on what drives the menu so we'll we'll work with what we can find locally and if, and if so that may, may not be the traditional ingredient for certain dishes and so it gives it a, an eclectic touch. Um, also, both of us, I think the reason why we end up working together uh, and why we do work together is that we are both spontaneous and we like to explore. We like to expand. We, we don't wanna be pigeonholed into this is how it has to be done. We, we, want, to, we want to work with an eclectic air to, how, uh, you know, to our cuisine and, and, and what we're doing. So I, th- I think it's, it, it comes down to it's a reflection of who we are and what we try to be as chefs.
0: And I mean, this might be a hard question, uh, but if you had to pick one dish for people—it's their first time at Mango Pickle—what is the must-have dish for you right now on the menu? Well,
2: we're doing we're doing one menu for the next 21 days, uh, except for the secret menu, and. We put it together because we felt like it would be the right menu for this time and space um, being that we're at the end of winter beginning of sp- beginning of spring um, and it's um, it encompasses elements that we enjoy making um, elements that are that are nostalgic to, to us from uh, India like the first course are uh, the 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 lemon russum which is a which is, a, which is a traditional South Indian dish. The uh, Goan curry uh, because of all our time spent in Goa. Um, and then the, the way the beef is handled with uh, different components, um, a lot of mustard, mustard sauces, uh, yogurt sauces. Um, these are some of the quintessential elements that we would put into our dishes uh, in various dishes.
0: I mean, it's great because I have your website up behind us here and all of your pictures for the menu are just flashing by, making me super hungry <laughs> as we talk here. Um, they're beautiful. So everyone should definitely check out mango to see all the food that Marissa has been talking about. Um, we are at, uh, we want to be respectful of your time. So we want to jump into our final round of questions, which is rapid fire. It's just something we kind of like to put together um, for our guests so we can get to know you a little bit better. They're just supposed to be top of mind, whatever comes to mind first. So are you ready to dive in? Yeah. Okay, Kaylee, you can take the first one.
1: All right, so because of your past, we're guessing you like to travel. Um, where is your favorite place that you've been, if you had to pick one? Oh, my favorite place, That's like,
2: <laughs> uh, that would be, um, our trek in the Himalayas in uh, um, the border where, it, where India and Tibet meet. How um, long did that take? It took us three weeks. We, uh, we climbed, uh, it was, a, a, we, we went over a glaciated pass um, that was I think 19,000 feet high. Oh my oh,
0: that's, God, <laughs> that's really high. Um, and I was going to ask the next one, any place you dream of traveling to?
2: I would like to I I think it would still be the Himalayan mountains and it would be on the eastern part in the uh in uh, Bhutan in, uh, Assam or Bhutan I think the Himalay- I think the Himalayan mountains are a special place
1: That's amazing and kind of switching directions do you have an all-time favorite dish that you like to cook
2: Yes and that's my grandmother's dishes
1: Oh really do you yes. have like a few of your favorites or uh, one very very
2: simple tomato beet sauce pasta. You can't go wrong.
0: Do you have another restaurant or two that you love to go to in the area around here? I know you already mentioned Vincent, but if you have a few other favorites,
2: um, we get our sugar fix, our morning sugar fix from Lost Larson.
0: We were just there this morning, or I <laughs> grabbed us some pastries from this morning. Uh, do you have a favorite pastry from there? I know mine is the almond croissant. So that is what I brought us this morning.
2: Well, I like the laminated doughs. I go for any of the laminated doughs from them. Uh, the croissants, the uh, the uh, the, uh, the different laminated, laminated doughs that they have there.
0: Yeah, I know that's such an art. And when we had Bobby on, we had him on a couple of years ago, I feel like now on the podcast, but he was talking to us about the process to make a really good laminated dough and it's just so tedious and yeah i don't yeah. know if everyone appreciates sometimes how much work goes into that process too
1: yeah i've only been there twice and i got the almond croissant both times actually well first time i went Joel brought me the almond croissant this morning so shout out to Joel. <laughs> um anyways other than cooking and probably traveling how else do you like to spend your free time um,
2: I, I spend my time, I, I practice, I study, I practice yoga and study the spiritual side of yoga, uh, as much as I can. And if it's not working my yoga practice, uh, it's, uh, when we travel, we like to be outdoors, um, hiking, camping, um, trekking backpacking,
0: uh, as much outdoors as we can. Do you have any local recommendations for nearby hikes for folks that are just getting into it?
2: We just went, um, the border between Wisconsin and the, uh, uh and Michigan, the large forested area, beautiful, very easy, simple way to, to go boating, uh, to go kayaking, um, and, uh, good biking trails and hiking trails on there. And it's just,
0: just easy drive. Yeah, we did the um, UP of Michigan a couple years ago. We kind of did that whole circle tour around um, the lakes there, and did hiking into Quantum and Falls in the UP, and it was beautiful.
2: Okay. Yeah, I'd like to to do that too.
0: Yeah, that's almost. Um, I want to say. I mean, you could definitely. I believe it was Lake Superior right there, but then of course Lake Michigan down.
2: Going from Lake Superior. And I uh, I forgot the name of the, of the town we we're at, but it, but it was a channel of lakes where you could lay you could on the boat you can you can boat from one lake to the other because they're all connected from channels, um, and um, you can spend like morning to sunset uh, on the boat.
0: Sounds like everyone needs to do that this summer <laughs> when it gets warmer. <laughs>
2: I think we, we have a lot of places here, and we should not underestimate our own lakefront you know, which was, you know, godsend <laughs> this
0: past year, you know, you know, for the outdoors. Absolutely. And now everything seems to be opened all the way up to the water. So everyone can enjoy it a little bit more this summer too than they did last summer. So that's wonderful. Um, and Marissa, what is the best way to continue to support Mango Pickle right now? Um, can you just shout out your different social media platforms to where people can find you? Um, we're going to do a, a series of events, over the coming
2: months, and I am um, looking at starting really focusing on our on our tea selection, uh, a daytime selection that's a very tea focused and food that goes with tea. That is, we're not uh, we'll be launching that over the coming months. And I think the best, you know, way to find out like what we're doing is going to be you know, through our Instagram and through our website.
0: Great.
1: Thank you, Marissa, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Mango Pickle, visit them on Instagram, online at mangopicklechicago.com, or at their restaurant. Show notes on today's
0: episode can be found at andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded via Zoom. We thank you for your listenership, and if you like the podcast... Please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our production. Please email us at info at for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying Always Andersonville.